Can you turn in your Bibles to Luke 15? Rams, I'm going to move this back if you don't mind. There we go. <laughs> so if you're taking notes, uh, which I encourage you to do, you could write down God's heart for that which is lost. Very long title. God's heart for that which is lost. And um, I think coming into the Christmas season, Obviously, we've kind of decorated the place, and the signs look merry and happy, and I've got a little light box going, and it's going to be fun. But I, I really, kind of leading up to the Christmas time, I want, I want us to just start reflecting more about who Jesus is, the, the incarnation of Christ. We've spoken about this before, but it's when, it's incarnate means, if you get, what's that, that meat? Carne means meat, that God came in the flesh and dwelt amongst us. There's an incredible verse out of the message in John 1 verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to finish. And if we reflect on Jesus coming in a time where he would have he would, have, he would have gone into a stable, which means they had not enough money to get into different areas. It's from a very poor kind of area. He was, he was not part of any form of elite. The shepherds, which were generally the rejected ones of society, would go look after the sheep, were the first to wreck. The, the angels came to them. I just think it shows who God is. God did not need to bring his son in pomp and ceremony. We've been watching uh, The Crown. Who's watching The Crown? On Netflix, really good. And... Um, and there's always a sense of pomp and ceremony as, as the, the, the kings and the queens, they, they, they kind of enter into the room. Jesus entered into our neighborhood with none of that. And I love that, that God uses a story of a little backwater town in a forgotten part of Israel, and he changes the world. That's who God is. And I, I think if we can kind of bring our minds and hearts back to that place, that this is a time of good food. I'm trying to stay on top of exercise because there seems to be just Christmas party after Christmas party. Jean-Dre's judging me for eating. Um, but I was asking, because he did some training thing recently, and I said, what did you eat for like uh, two, three weeks? He goes, no, just white fish. I said, no salt, no pepper, nothing. Just white fish and a little bit of sweet potatoes. I, I could never do that. Um, it's a different calling for others. <laughs> so... <clears throat> just before we read, let's just pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that it brings life, that it brings security, that it, that it gives us something to pin our lives to, God, outside of ourselves, and we can focus on you. I pray, Lord God, that this morning this word would come and change our hearts. It would change my heart, God. As I started to read this this week, it changed something about me, and I pray that for every single person here. In Jesus' name. So Luke 15 is, the, uh, the, is three parables. It's almost like a three-scened movie. We've got a, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, uh, the, the prodigal son, the lost son that comes back to the father. If, you, if you've been in church for longer than, than a year, you probably would have read this. You probably would have heard it. You probably would have had it preached to you. If you've grown up in church like I did, you would have known something about the story. Now, I think Jesus, for me, this is... Such an incredible part of Scripture because it, it brings, Jesus is showing to the Pharisees and to the religious of the day what God is actually like. 
and he's, and he's, he's reshaping, he's redefining, he's, he's deconstructing to reconstruct what the Father in heaven looks like. And it's an incredible, incredible privilege that we have this written down for us to, to grow in, to understand more. And uh, so I want to just start from verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. I want to work on that a little bit. Um, let's just read verse 2 and, as well. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was known to hang out with, with, with sinners. Now, what is sinners? Like in those days, when, when you would hear sinners, it would be basically a class of people by themselves. It would be people who were rejected from society. You had this, you had this um, high pharisaical class, like the, the higher rich upper class that thought they had the only way to God. And anyone who didn't follow their rules would be deemed sinners. So it would even be people who were sick and diseased, who have reputable uh, professions like prostitutes, tax collectors. And uh, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, is hanging out with them. And I think we have got a big vision for this church to reach the city. And as I go out to the malls, and we go out to restaurants, and we, we hang out in different places, I see that there's a people that need Jesus. And I think if we as a community are preaching the Jesus that we see in the Bible, it will bring people to conviction, but it will also draw them. Jesus was known to hang out with the worst in society. In the NLT version, it says that they were notorious sinners. What comes into your mind when you think about that? Sex trafficking, people who are part of ISIS, these are notorious sinners. Jesus hung out with the worst of the worst in society. And I love, I love that picture because it just shows who God is and who he's come to reach and, and, and lean in towards. Luke 15 for me is a scandalous picture of who God is. It doesn't make sense in our minds that where we work towards everything, where we work towards something, Jesus comes and he blows all of that out of the water. If you look at the word, the, who the tax collectors were, they, they, they almost became their own category. They, they, were, they were sinners, then they were tax collectors. These guys, in a sense, were worse than sinners. Because what they would do, they would be an Israeli person, who would be siding with the Roman government to bring to tax the people that the tax went and funded the Roman army so the empire can grow bigger. These guys were the worst of the worst. It's like when Jesus walks into a town and he sees Zacchaeus and he says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. The city goes into uproar because here's a man that he would walk along to Ryan and he would say, give me whatever's in your pocket. He, was a, he had the authority of, um, of the Roman government to walk up to anyone and ask them for, a, for amount of tax. And they always used, they never used to take, I think it was 1% of their yearly income, which isn't much. Okay, consider, okay, Dubai, we don't get tax. But if you live in England, what is it, like 30, 40%? It's pretty high. There's only 1%, but what, the, what these tax collectors used to do is go and demand a whole lot more, and they had the authority to do it. So these guys were traitors to Israel, and Jesus was hanging out with them. Isn't that, doesn't that say something, that Jesus wasn't even that patriotic? He was hanging out with the people that the, that the society of Israel was rejecting because he knew that they were the ones that needed Jesus the most. It's an amazing, amazing picture. Jesus chose a tax collector. He chose a zealot, which would have 
been deemed, uh, a, 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 they used to be part of a, a group called the Sakari, which were basically terrorists that used to terrorize the Roman government. Jesus chose, um, I've lost it here. Uh, he, he chose fishermen. Now, most, if, you, if you're a little Israeli boy and you're growing up and you're reading the Torah, there comes a point where you're either good enough to become a rabbi and those who aren't good enough become a tradesman that their father followed. So Jesus never chose one rabbi. He never chose one person qualified in this world. The Bible even says that, that, that we were unschooled, ordinary men, but, there was, but we know that we had been with Jesus. And I think what my point today about this whole prodigal son and, and the story of the lost coin is that if we this morning just turn our face towards Jesus, which means repentance. Repentance, sometimes people think, oh, I've got to stop doing this, I've got to stop doing this. No, all you have to do is just start following Jesus and you'll automatically want to stop doing that because he's more glorious. He fulfills you more than anything that the world could ever offer you if you put your eyes on him. I love that Jesus, it says they were drawing near to him to hear him. He was a magnet for people who needed him. And can I say that I want this verse and this scripture to be so part of who we are as a church. Like, I, I, I long for the days where, and we've had a few moments. We had an evening meeting a couple of years ago, and the people that came to the evening meeting, it was like, wow. There's the, the, there are these people, and I don't know where they came from. Uh, the one guy, he kind of was, I'm, I'm convinced he was a gangster, um, and I asked him what he did. He says, don't worry. I just import stuff. I'm like, cool. You are welcome in this church. Uh, just don't import anything into this church. And I just thought, like, there's, there's, so, there's so many, so many people that we need to reach in the city. And if we get this thing into our hearts that it's great to have a community that loves one another, that's there for one another, but we always need to be outward looking like Jesus was. Jesus had his 12 that he discipled, but he has his thousands, hundreds and thousands that he used to hang out with on a regular basis. I mean, there's a scripture that speaks that says that, um, I forgot to write it down, but it speaks about John the Baptist. He says he came not eating or drinking and the, the Pharisees hated him. It says Jesus came eating and drinking and they call him a glutton and a drunkard. So Jesus was hanging out with the worst people that people thought he was partaking in it. And he was sitting down with them. And in that culture, to sit down with someone who's doing something meant that I'm approving of what they're doing. So Jesus was never approving of what they were doing, ever. But he was approving of who they are. He realized and he saw inside all of them, this is a son and a daughter created. Everyone has a redeemable feature about us. And we are created in the image of, the, of God. And Jesus comes and shows and brings creation and brings an understanding of what we are meant to be and who we are meant to be and who we are meant to worship. It's a powerful, powerful two scriptures that we can just, for me, spend a lot of time on. And what I've seen in leading in this city is that people love church but they also love the world on equal amounts. And I think people come in here, they're 20s, 30s, and then end up staying into their 40s, 50s, and that's great. But what starts to happen in the city is that your, your convictions that you may have carried back home slowly get eroded away. And I, be, I honestly believe that as Christians, we need to set a standard, uh, not a moral standard, but a way of living that the world actually wants to follow. And if we, if we don't start doing that, what is the world going to actually follow after? If we look and act like the world and do the things that the world is doing, partaking in it, we're not going to be a shining light to anyone. 
for me, friends of sinners doesn't mean that you partake and do all the stuff that sinners do. No, you hang out with people. You love them. You show them that they're actually stuck in insecurity. They're stuck in a way they can only have fun if they have alcohol. We, we don't need alcohol to have fun. There's nothing, I'm not against alcohol, okay? I'm just saying the abuse of alcohol is wrong. But it's, it's the society that we live in. And I think we need to stand up and be strong and say, Jesus, I want to show Jesus to the people around me. Not in a, not in a pharisaical way, please. That pushes people away from church in a way that who Jesus was. He loved us. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. He wasn't, you can't split Jesus in half. He was both. There's the, there was a moment where the woman comes up to him and they, they, they're, throwing, they're about to stone her. And, and she's about to, uh, because she's been caught in adultery. And he says, those without sin lift the first stone and then everyone drops their stones, walk, walks away. He looks at the woman and he says, now get up and sin no more. There's, there's something of when you meet Jesus, you don't want to do these things. Now we are human and we're going to fall back into stuff. But I think we need to keep facing our eyes towards Jesus. And that's what I love about all of these stories. The, the one is about a lost person, uh, sorry, a lost coin. The other one's about a lost sheep who strays away. And the other one is about a prodigal son who was living in the house, living in the blessing, and then stepped away and came back in. So let's go to verse 3. Actually, verse 8. Actually, no, verse 4. Sorry. <laughs> so he told them this parable. What man, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, that was a medium-sized sheep pen of the day, if he, was, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. Say, joy in heaven. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the Bible's clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus wasn't saying that, they, that, that, that some people didn't need repentance. He was looking at the Pharisees and saying, you think you don't need me. You think your righteous ways of doing things, your cleansing, the stuff you do on the outward uh, to, to, to get into my presence, to come and worship me, you think that approves before me. He says, it's like filthy rags to God. And he's saying, almost in a sarcastic way to him, he says, well, you don't need me, but there's, there's, there is the people that need me. There's the sinners and the tax collectors that need me. And that's also such a, a scandalous view of, of the gospel. Jesus would leave the 99 sitting in the field to go find one. And I think it, it, it speaks of who's, who's God. It speaks about the heart of God. And for me, I, I, we had an amazing time with uh, Lisa Bevere, just kind of hanging out with her. But you, get, you kind of do get Christian celebrityism. I don't like it, but it is what it is. And... Um, and she's kind of on the circuit, and she's just saying, she's saying, I've seen the good and the bad of that. She says, do not negate the ones and the twos and the people that walk into the store, and they're like, I'm actually searching for something. I need someone. And we need to be a community that cares about the one. We need to be like Jesus who would go after the one. If you don't see a friend here for a couple of weeks, give them a call. What's happening? How are you doing? I can tell you 100% of the time there's something going down in their life, and they need a friend that needs to walk alongside them. Mark 2 verse 16, it says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, Okay, 
I'm going to read from verse 17. It says, when Jesus heard it, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteous, sorry, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Bible is clear that no one is righteous. And I, for me, the, the, this is incredible scripture. Jesus didn't come to those who, who supposedly thought they didn't need him. He came to those who were sick. The second one is the lost coin. And I'm going to read it quickly. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the whole house and seek diligently until she finds it? It's amazing. I read some commentaries, and there's actually been architects who've kind of unearthing these ancient Palestinian homes, and there were actually coins stuck within the cracks. Because they, they, they used to have like little tiles that the, that the coins used to be stuck into. So this is something that Jesus always spoke in stories and pictures that they would have related to. Obviously the shepherd thing, having, a, uh, having coins as well. And when she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And you've heard that when we do the altar call at the end of church. We're like, Angel, angels are rejoicing because you've surrendered to Jesus. And that, that is an incredible thing that we've had uh, over the years quite a few people saved in the church. And at that moment, when they surrender their hearts to Jesus, they turn towards him, there is a celebration in heaven. It's almost a trumps everything else. It becomes the most important thing. In that moment, heaven is celebrating because people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. What an incredible thing we're part of. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, Roman Nushi had a, one of Rom's clients' watches. And uh, this watch was worth about 45,000 dirhams. And the reason he had it, because I think he was in some Sri Lanka, possibly, Okay, anyway, he was, I won't give too many details, but he was somewhere, and Rom had to go and fix the watch for him. At this moment, they lost that watch. They don't know how it happened. They think that the lady that was working for them possibly threw it in the dustbin, uh, saw it in the dustbin. Um, and uh, so for, for days, I remember Nushi even phoning, being sick. She phoned Sally, she goes, I'm depressed. We, we've lost this watch. I can't, I'm so angry with Rome for bringing it into my house. Um, so we had to do a little bit of counseling there, but that was, that was fine. And um, there was a moment where they're like, all hope was lost. They're like, well, we're going to have to sell a car. We're going to have to do something to make up. We're going to have to buy this watch from my clients. Otherwise, I'm going to look really bad. I can't tell him this, whatever. And they call us the one day and said, we have found the watch. And I know, I asked Nushi what, what, what she felt. She says, there's this utter sense of relief. And... Um, I think there's, there's something of that with, with what they're trying to bring in with this lady losing a coin is that when you've lost something, I've lost keys and remotes like you have no idea. Who else? Or is it just me? Okay. Um, it's just me. <laughs> it's honestly the worst thing. And I, generally, I look, Starla, where did you put it? And, uh, and, then she, and then I know it's, I know it's actually me, but it's just, it's easy to put the blame on someone else. Am I right? And... Um, yeah, so there's, the, there's a moment when you find something. Needless to say, I've lost many keys and I've never found them. But this lady had absolute joy. And if you think what, in, in those days, those 10 coins would have been her dowry if she became widowed or if she became divorced. So she would have had a little bit of money for after that happening. So it was an, of immense value to her. And that's how God thinks about us. We are, are the apple of his eye. 
He's obsessed with us. This, this I think, is what threw everything out of, of the water of who God is, that it actually shows a God that, that loves someone, that takes time out to come and seek. Those of you who have given your life to Jesus because the Father drew you. He loved you so much that he drew you to himself. The Holy Spirit convicted of you of sin. You, you almost had a very little part to play other than saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. Amazing, amazing thing. Now I'm going to get on to the last thing, uh, which is the prodigal son. And I think uh, this, for me, is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. And I do not have in 10, 15 minutes enough time to, to go into massive depth around this. But it's incredible, and I'm going to drink a little bit of water before we carry on. You good? I don't mind responses. It's all good. You can say amen, even if you have to fake it. Um, okay, so there's a story, uh, just for time's sake, there's a story of, of two sons. They come along to the, the one comes along to the father and says, listen, dad, I want you to give my inheritance early. I want you to cash in whatever you owe me. And he's the youngest son. So they split this inheritance. Generally, the older son would get a double portion because he would look after the family. The younger son gets his portion. And he goes off and he, and he starts. It literally says like a few days later, he went, down, he went out and he started spending his money. This, this would have been, uh, to, to the hearers of the day, it would have been an absolute insult. It's basically saying to your father, if Rian came to Rum right now and says, listen, dad, I want my inheritance because I want to go and buy all the Star Wars stuff, and I, need to, and I need everything, and I need to go blow this money, and it's like, it's basically the son saying to the father, I wish you were dead. It's an absolute insult. So people listening to the story would have been like, oh wow, Jesus, I love how Jesus entices people with stories and pictures that they would have understood. And um, it says, okay, if we go from verse 17, anyway, he goes, not many, from verse 13, not many days later, the youngest son gathered all that he had and took, uh, and took a journey into the far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. And yet when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the, pit, the, with the, with the pods that the pigs ate, uh, that's like that sprinkled pepper peep up. Uh, and, and no one gave him anything. It's just, uh, 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 there's this point. For me, the story is just absolutely incredible. I'm going to read from verse 17 onwards, and then I'm going to explain a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. But when he came to himself, he said, how, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your highest servants. And he arose, he came to his father, but, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. There's three things. Uh, out of these three parables, there's, there's something that happens at the end. There's a celebration and a party. 
that when the sinner turns their face towards Jesus, when God finds the lost coin, when the, when the sheep is carried back to the Father, there's a celebration that happens. And I want to say this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, there's a God that is looking far off and He's running towards you. He wants to meet you. He wants to know you. If you haven't been to church in a while and you know that your life is not lining up with what God requires of because He requires great things from you, there's a moment this morning where you can, you can give... You can come back to the Father with arms wide open. For me, this, this scripture shows two things. Number one, the repentance of the Son, if you're taking notes. It says that He came to Himself. There's a realization in our lives when we realize that our sinful ways are catching up with us. We could be in debt. We could be disillusioned. I, uh, I, I wrote this in, um, this is the DLT, the Dan Living Translation, Okay. It says, a few days later, this youngest son packed all his belongings and went to a distant land called Dubai. And there he wasted all his money in wild living, brunches, barasti, boats, and booze. About that time, his money ran out, a recession swept over the land, and he began to starve. That is a story of so many people that live in Dubai. But he comes to this point and he says, he says, I've sinned against my father, and I've sinned against my father and against heaven. And I think there's something so, cl- so clear here that we have to have a repentant heart as we come towards God. It is God. I can't believe I was doing that, but I'm going to put my focus on you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put my affection on you. William Booth says this: the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. And that is written 100, 120 years ago. Isn't it so true that there's this liberal view that's creeping into the church, that people want, they want, they want their cake and they want to eat it, but they want to also worship Jesus. They want to, have, they want to be a Christian but not live a repentant life before Him. It's, it's one of the things... That is, going to, that is going to rob the church of its effectiveness. Because then what do we become? We're not calling people out of something into something else. We just become a club that everyone's happy and, and jolly. I, we believe this thing, and we've halted as a church, is that you belong first, then you believe, then your behavior starts to change. It's never, we're not a church that tries to change your behavior, then you can belong. No, you belong first. Warts and all, come with everything. Come as you are, but just keep focusing on Jesus because he'll begin to change you. And I think... We, we need to get back and, and learn Romans 1 again, which is so clear about repentance, is that men and women who, who they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they began to worship themselves. They began to worship created beings and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And I, I love what Martin Luther says, sin is a life turned in on itself. Sin is a life turned in on itself, which means that Instead of me having an outward focus on Jesus first and finding my affection and, uh, and, and fulfillment around Him first, I look to myself. And many people become Christians and they want to follow Jesus, but they don't know how to give up their selfishness. And I say, it's actually quite easy. Not that I've got it right. I think we're in a process of sanctification. No one, while this side of eternity, we've got it right. But we need to focus our hearts towards Jesus Christ. We need to focus our lives towards others. And we are part of a major story that's been going for 2,000 years, if not longer. The story of God. And we get to play our part if we surrender our hearts to Him. 
So that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. I, they have that moment where you're like, God, I've lo- I'm lost in sin. I, for me, it was so clear. 2001, went to, I've said this before, but I went to a club called Barusty, had a big box uh, of pick, joke, no, no, not Barusty, sorry. Just Barusty's on my mind there. It was called Jokels. And um, the Durban guys from Durban, South Africa would know. And uh, I remember drinking a big box of like, let's just call it Spinney's wine. And uh, going there, I mean, it was the only thing we could find in my friend's house. And we just, we, we, we went crazy. My friend blanked out. Um, end of the evening, uh, we, we got a taxi home. And I'm sitting at my friend's house. And we were about to repeat the process again the next night. We just, you have a day of recovering and then you kind of, you shoot it up again. And, uh, and I felt God audibly speaking to me. And it wasn't like this, Daniel, you were done. It was like, it was like kind of inside and he just said, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with, with what I've put inside of you? I grew up in a Christian home. I knew the truth. And I had that moment where I had a realization that I needed Jesus above everything else. That he had to become the most important thing in my life. Otherwise, I'm going to wreck my life. And I can tell you today, you guys can have an opportunity to follow him. His arms are wide open. And the second thing that the scripture shows is the extravagance of the father. I love this. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran embraced and kissed him. Now, the story is called the the story of the prodigal son. Now, prodigal is not something that means go away and come back. Prodigal means excess. It means, I'm going to have got the exact uh, meaning here, recklessly extravagant, excessive, and indulgent. So this is what the prodigal son did. He, he literally went out, he took his half of his, almost half of his father's property, and he blew it to the point where he was stuck with pigs. Now, to Jewish people, that would have been the, the most utter insult that anyone could have ever said. And I think as much as that it is about a prodigal son, it's also about a prodigal God. It's about a prodigal father who excessively loves us, undeservedly loves us, pours out his passion upon us. I, I love that it says that he ran. Now, if you look at a Middle Eastern patriarch of the day, the man who ran the home and had land and farms, he would not run. In Middle Eastern culture, in, even in Dubai, if you, if you run in the mall, you're going to get into trouble. It's, 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 it's undignified to run in Middle Eastern culture. And this man, through every, all caution to the one, he says, my son, I can see you coming far off, and I love you so much. And he starts running towards the father. That is the story. For me, the most powerful part of this whole story is that this father looks in the distance at you and I, and he says, I'm running after you. I'm wanting to find you. I'm wanting to give my absolute everything to you. And he does three things. Number one, God clothes him in righteousness. And I I love this. We come to God unrighteous. We come to God uh, with no identity. And we come to God with no purpose. And he comes and he lays all of that. That's what Rom spoke about last week. And Stala spoke about it. Scarlet. So it's coming out again. But God comes and he brings. And he comes towards the sun. and 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 he says, get the best robe. Ryan, can you come up here? Oh, you're going, to be, you're going to be the prodigal son. I don't have a robe or anything, but let's just, let's just like imagine. Okay, it's going to be fun. So I'm going to, there's this, this son, and the, the servants come and put a robe on him, and it's this, this robe of righteousness. In, in, um, oh, there we go. Yeah, come on. You've got small fingers, dude. Um, 
It says, uh, Ephesians 4.22, it says, So put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. And that's what I was saying earlier. We cannot live in the former manner of life if we've seen Jesus. It says, And the corrupt through deceitful desires. Desires of the flesh are deceitful. They're going to lead you into sin. They're going to lead you into a place where you're divorced, disillusioned, and, and no money, and in debt. And to be renewed in the spirit by your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. And then he comes along and he puts a ring on his finger. This is weird, dude. (laughs) Okay, you get the point. A ring in those days, if you carried the father's ring, it means you carried an identity as a son. the, The son comes to the father and says, listen, I'm happy to be a slave. And the father says, I have none of that. And so often we live our Christianity as slaves. We, we live our Christianity of like, we're always just, just getting there, just getting there. And the Father's going, stop it now. I'm giving you the signet ring. I'm giving you identity. I'm giving you uh, the thing that you do not deserve. Jesus gives us a cloak of righteousness. He, he, if, the moment we turn our, our, our eyes towards him and we repent and we say, Jesus, we need you, he covers us in his righteousness forever. We are utterly changed because of God's righteousness over us. That the wrath of God, the, 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 the deserved uh, consequences of our sin are not covered. It's covered by, by Jesus Christ himself. God, there's a word called propitiation where God looks from heaven and his wrath is turned into favor because of Jesus Christ. It's undeserved. We don't deserve it. He, he, wraps, him, he wraps us in, in that. 1 John 3 says this. He says, consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us that we are called children of God. God gives him the, the signet ring of being his son. The third thing is that he puts new shoes on his feet. Now, think how bad this must have got. If there's a guy that comes in with no clothes, no shoes, and no jewelry, you know that that guy's poor. This guy got to such a bad place that he literally sold everything he had. And Jesus came and gave him everything new. And I love the, the story for me of, of, of the shoes is that God wants to give us purpose. We are not put on this earth for nothing. We find Jesus. He cloaks us in righteousness. He makes us his son and his daughter. We've got identity. We are utterly clean before him. We've repented. Our lives are are washed clean by the king. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can we all stand? Teddy, would you mind? Could all the people being baptized, would you mind going and getting changed quickly? I'm just going to end off with one or two things. So we're going to have baptism at the end for me, which is a powerful picture of someone who's given their life to Jesus. It's an outward declaration of what the Father's done within their heart. So this is super exciting. Rom and Ryan are going to be baptizing. See, we all come to God with three, we come to God with, with nothing. We come unrighteous. We come with no identity. We place our identity on, who, on what we do and these, and these things we're involved in, and we come with no purpose. We find Jesus, and he brings all three to us. So can we bow our heads together as we pray? I just want to... It says that he, that he takes a fattened calf. And that's how, that's how Jesus is. He, he embraces us. He loves us. He pulls us towards himself. 
And not only that, he comes and they eat meat. Meat was a delicacy in those days. It was, it was reserved for special occasions. And Jesus is doing that this morning. I want to read these verses. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is a party that we're all invited to. And I want, just while everyone's eyes are closed, I want to do the first call, and that is to someone who has never given their life to Jesus. You know that today there's a loving Father in heaven who's drawing you. And if that is you, would you just mind raising your hand very quickly? I'd love to pray with you. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to pray a prayer that I want all of us to repeat. Uh, just with all your heads bowed. And there's someone who raised their hand. And this is a moment where, the, where we're coming back to the Father. We're coming back to Jesus. So, Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. You died in my place. I thank you that through believing in you, I am made new. Father, would you forgive me for all my sins? And I turn my face towards you. Amen. Let's just imagine with... with that there is a celebration right now of someone who's actually turned their heart towards Jesus. Heaven is celebrating. That's cool. And please, for those who even did put up the hand, we've got a thing called Ignite, which is a 31-day journey of growing in God. It's amazing. It answers some major questions around that. We've got a free Bible for you. And Ryan put together just how you can actually start reading your Bible. We believe that's the first part of following Jesus. Understand who he is and start reading his word and just start speaking to him. And then just finally, like, and I know people are getting ready and we're going to baptize, but just could we bow our heads just one last time. And those who feel like you are, you are that, um, that prodigal son or daughter and you feel there's been a running away. today you want to come back to the Father. And it could be a short little stint that you did. It could be long. It could be years. But I don't want to leave today without giving you an opportunity to, to get before God and make right with God. So if that is you, do you want to just raise your hand or indicate towards me? Awesome. So Father, you see these hands raised as a declaration before you. I pray, Lord God, that you would just seal the work that happened today in people's hearts. Would you pour out a a, a radical dedication to you and your gospel? Father, I thank you for these these men and women, and I thank you, Jesus, that, that the days ahead of them are greater than the days behind them, Father. 
We turn our hearts towards you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.